1: You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every
0: weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.
1: Let's talk about the virus, where we are, because the past few days have been head spinning, to say the least, given everything mm-hmm. that's been going on in the world. Not the least, Carol, what's been going on with the president. Let's check in with Dr. Bruce Farber. He is chief of infectious diseases at Northwell Health, of course, a massive uh, health care system here in the New York area. He joins us on the phone from Manhasset. Dr. Farber, really nice to have you back with us. Thanks, thanks for having me. All right, so let's start where I think everybody's mind is, or many people's minds are, when it comes to the president and his positive diagnosis last Friday. It was disclosed a very early Friday morning. Um, What have you seen in terms of both the treatment and the statements that the president and his doctors have made, and what does it tell us about where we are with this virus and especially the public perception of it?
2: Uh, Well, there's a lot to that. So first of all, specifically regarding the president, it's, it's difficult to really get the facts because we really don't know a lot of the numbers and values that would be really helpful to know how he's done. Quite frankly so far I think he's been extraordinarily lucky. Um this didn't um this didn't have to go this way and he seemingly is clinically stable. Um, he 's certainly been treated in an unconventional manner. No one really knows the utility and the, and the benefit of a cocktail of um, monoclonal antibodies they 're still under study. The results of those studies are not out. He was given decadron, which is usually given to people who have severe covid or in danger of getting progressive pulmonary disease and have a higher mortality when it 's given to people without those findings, it can paradoxically increase the morbidity and mortality. So it is very confusing and quite frankly, you use the word dizzying and I I don't disagree. It's very hard. I will say he's still not out of the woods. Typical deteriorations often occur between day five and day eight or even day nine. Um, If he gets through nine or 10 days and is clinically stable, then I think he will be out of the woods.
0: So can I just ask you, though, just to kind of follow up what Jason was asking, so he's gotten remdesivir, that's an antiviral drug, still also in its testing phases. He got two doses of, or doses of, other, of two other medicines, including the experimental antibody cocktail, and I think you mentioned, I believe, the steroid. Um, and it's used to combat inflammation in people with more severe cases of COVID-19. From the treatment he got, can we make any conclusion about, how severe his case of coronavirus has been, or do we need to also take into account that I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on the doctors to throw a lot of
2: stuff at the president? Exactly. I, I think one of two things. Either he was a lot a lot sicker than was advertised, or they overreacted uh, because he was the president and started him on Basically giving him the kitchen sink, lots of different medications at the same time, because they got nervous, and it's very hard to know without the data. We don't know his laboratory results. The oxygen levels have been you know all over the place in the news, CAT scan findings. no one really knows. So I, I think you're right, it's probably one or the other. I doubt it's both.
0: Can I, as a follow up, you must have seen the footage of him getting off of the helicopter and getting back to the White House yesterday. I mean, it was probably, as I, I know some of the reporters and correspondents who were following it saying, I mean, this is going to be the most closely watched president's this, the steps that the president has ever taken, watching him go up the stairs, you know, <laughs> whether he grabbed banisters and so on and so forth. As a medical professional, as you watched it, I'm assuming you saw it, what is your takeaway?
2: Um what conclusions in,
0: can we make?
2: It's, it's hard because okay. there were such small snapshots. The, 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 real, the real answer to that question will become forth, forthcoming in the next week or so. I mean, most people his age with COVID are exhausted, tired, not able to keep up uh, the schedule that a campaigning president would for weeks after mm-hmm. suffering from COVID. They're usually walking slowly around their neighborhoods and are home for several weeks to recover. Um, Anything's possible, and certainly there can be asymptomatic cases in 74-year-old people or mild cases. But um, quite frankly, I was surprised he did as well as he did. Yeah. And so, Dr.
1: Farber, I I mean, I, I do think that many of us who've been following this story closely, you've been following, not the story, you have been following this pandemic as closely as anyone. You've been treating patients. You understand this disease as well as anyone. I think many of us candidly were surprised and, and I dare say a little bit troubled by what the president said when he said, don't let it dominate your life, you know, making comparisons to the point where, you know, some social media platforms are, are taking it down. How worrisome is that to you, the, the downplaying of COVID-19 at this point?
2: Oh, I think it's horrible. Quite frankly, it's, it's just terrible. Um, that's the last thing in the world we should be doing. Um, I don't have to tell you the obvious. 200,000 people have died. This is nothing like the flu, which apparently he made the analogy to. It's 10 times more deadly than the flu. And the last thing in the world we should be doing is encouraging people not to take this seriously. Um, and it sure has to change your life. That doesn't mean you don't, you don't do anything, but, of course, you have to change you have to be careful, and look at the result. Look at the uh-huh. White House. Look uh-huh. at what ha- look what's happened. I mean, I think that says it all. Dr. Farber, what kind of
0: fall are you setting up for, and what kind of winter season?
2: Well, I think um, you know the rates have ticked up in New York, not dramatically, but they've clearly higher. But when you drill down, you see that those rates are not higher all over. They are clearly related to specific communities that we can see on hot maps of New York that plot out where these cases are occurring. And I think it's pretty clear that they're occurring in a limited number of orthodox communities, the south shore of Long Island, uh, Kings Point and Great Neck, um, Borough Borough Park, um, and uh, in uh, Rockland County. In um, a few other areas. And so it's really important to get those rates down because obviously it's very easy for hotspots to spill over into other areas. And before you know it, um, you know, you're in a second wave or have a lot of problems. What do I see? I see things hopefully staying the way they are. I, you know, I certainly don't think a vaccine is coming in the next month or two. Um, and I hope that we can quiet down those hotspots and get to the point where we are and just keep buying time until, you know, the vaccine comes out. So Dr.
1: Farber, given what you have learned as a clinician, as a doctor, someone who's treated a lot of patients, you and and your colleagues, What do we know now about the treatment that can be applicable to any of us sort of normal folks who were contending with this um, either directly or, or indirectly that we didn't know before? What advice are you giving people beyond the things that we say all the time around social distancing and washing your hands and wearing a mask? What's any new advice that you're giving people as we do anticipate this cropping up a little bit more in our daily lives?
2: Well, I think the CDC finally has come around to the the realization that I think most of us have felt for months, which is that uh, social distancing and masks are great, but they are certainly not, you know, the entire answer that there are aerosol spreads, and aerosol spreads occur indoors, and they occur, you know, in close settings with poor ventilation. And, you know, outside is so much better than inside um, and these super spreader events are so critical. 80% of all cases are occurring in clustered events, and 20% of people are causing 80% of the cases. And there are many, many people of COVID who do not transmit it to other people. I mean, look, the, the rate in household contacts is still in the, you know, mid-20s. It's not nothing, but it's not 100%. But you put somebody in a closed bar, restaurant, hall, you're screaming, you're loud, poor ventilation, then you can get a huge outbreak in a very short period of time. And I think that's probably what's happened in the Orthodox communities over the past couple of weeks.
0: So does it make you nervous as restaurants are opening up inside, even though they're doing limited capacity? I mean, how do you, as a doctor, does that make you stop and say, I kind of wish they weren't doing it?
2: It. I think, I think it's hard. I mean, mm. honestly, I prefer outside. Uh, have I been in a restaurant? Yes, but not commonly. And I think the restaurants that do it well, you know, really spread you, spread you out, but yeah, I'm cautious. And, uh, I feel bad. I love New York restaurants. You know, I know how hard it is for them to make a living with 25%. I know they can't do it. Um, But at the same token, it can be a fatal virus. And I sure don't want to go into a restaurant unless I'm very confident that it's well spaced. And, uh, you know, as long as the weather holds, eat outside.
1: Dr. Bruce Farber, thank you so much, Chief of Infectious yeah, Diseases at Northwell Health, joining us on the phone from Manhattan, New York. Candid, direct. We really, really appreciate it. We know that you have been dealing with this, as I said before, uh, very much on the front lines. You know, working with your colleagues. We're grateful for that, uh, and really, really appreciate you spending some time with us. To uh, you know, keep us all honest about what's going on out there. It is a tricky time, especially when we're getting a lot of conflicting information, Carol.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some words of caution, right, as we get into the colder months. And, right, we know, again, it's things we've heard from, you know, medical pro- professionals one after another about masks, social distancing outside. These are safer places and these are safer ways, uh, certainly in terms of contending with the virus.
1: The indoor spread is, uh, you know, what the CD said (sighs) and what Dr. Farber uh, just reiterated. It is worrisome. It is Mm -hmm. worrisome, uh, especially in this part of the country. As we get toward winter.
0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So excited
1: when I looked at our rundown today and saw that this next gentleman would be joining us. I just got a little happier. It's great. Ashley Vance back with us, features writer for Bloomberg Business Week. He's also the author of a terrific book, Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX and the Quest for a Fantastic Future. Always looking around the corner is Ashley Vance. He joins us on the phone from Palo Alto. Ashley, how the heck are you?
3: I'm good. Thanks for the, the warm intro.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you're the best. Um, so tell us about this story because, you know, one of the things that I love about your work is, as I said, you are looking around the corner all the time and you find these people or they find you. I don't know how it works, but I feel like every time I pick up one of your stories, there's somebody with a really, really big idea involved.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, and this is this one. This is a good one, I think. The um, there's this company in Colorado called Boom. Um, they've been at it for a few years, but now they're about to unveil their first supersonic plane. Uh, you know, there's some caveats with this one. This this first one that's going to be unveiled tomorrow is essentially a, a test plane. The pilots are going to take out and put through the paces with the hopes of getting to a commercial supersonic plane in the next few years. But, you know, this is the first company to do something like this in a long, long time.
0: All right. So we know the Concorde was so last year or so last several years ago. So how is this different? Like, what I thought we were kind of over supersonic you know jet flights, um, but obviously we're not. So what is it how is it different? Why does it have the opportunity to maybe change you know air travel especially if you think about for business people once we get through the pandemic?
3: Yeah, well they you know so the Concorde stopped flying in 2003 um for a number of reasons but the biggest one of which was that it just didn't make enough money mm. uh, there wasn't enough interest from passengers and so so anyway boom they have this thesis that that as time has passed you know they can get over a lot of the shortcomings that that face the Concorde and so so the first one is they're making this plane out of carbon fiber instead of aluminum, which wasn't really possible back when the the Concorde was first being designed. And so it's going to be lighter, faster, more fuel efficient. Also, the engine technology has come a really long way since the Concorde was designed. And so, again, the new engines are much more fuel efficient. And so all this adds up to you can fly the plane more cheaply than you used to be able to And you can go on many, many more routes uh, and go much longer distances, which opens up the market for this type of plane.
1: And so, Ashley, frame this in the context of everything else we see going on. More... in in terms of space, right? I mean, like we talk about that all the time. We talk with you and and many of our colleagues about that. And obviously SpaceX was was part of your work that you've done or has been part of the work that you've done around Elon Musk and and his vision for that. This is a a little bit more, I'm going to say it, down to Earth. And yet (laughs) it it does feel like a lot of the technological advances this guy is drawing on are coming from this sort of move to space, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, all this stuff, plays off each other you know we're in this this time when materials have advanced a lot things like electric motors and batteries and stuff have come a long way software more than anything has come a really long way so it's opening up these new possibilities you're totally right there's there's been way more attention and investment in like new rockets and satellites and all that stuff but you know if you're the average person um Probably hits a lot closer to home. I think we can yeah. all appreciate yeah. the idea of like a shorter, faster, more comfortable flight more than going to Mars, probably. Yeah. And so, so you know, it's a, it, this one feels right.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you think about all the leaders who are just probably like, yeah, okay, sign me up. Hey, we just do want to mention a headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal: President Trump saying he is stopping stimulus talks until after the presidential election. And I do want to point out that if you look at the equity markets, they are dropping like a rock.
2: Absolutely. Uh, S&P
0: now down about 20 points, down 6 tenths of a percent. Not a lot, but it was going in the other direction uh, prior to this headline. The Dow now down about 192 points, off 7 tenths of 1% as well. And a 3 quarters of 1 percentage point decline on the NASDAQ. It is down about 85 points. So again, that chart. We were trending higher, and we just dropped, again, the headline. President Trump says he's stopping stimulus talks until after uh, the election. Certainly, we've had speculation on that, Jason, but that is certainly worrisome for those people who are, and businesses that are struggling to get by. So, all right, Ashley, in your story, you say the only thing holding boom back, getting this supersonic jet out there is, well, reality. I mean, it's going to be expensive. You've got to get regulators on board. I mean... These are big hurdles, right?
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, one of the funny things when I was reporting the story that I guess I hadn't thought about as much, You were just talking about the rockets. Lately, rocket companies have been taking about six to eight years to get a a new rocket from a blueprint up to launching into orbit. Um, This plane, so, you know, in the best case scenario, they would actually be able to fly the new commercial airliner called Overture in 2029. And so, you know, because you're taking people instead of satellites and and so much is at risk, this is a really involved process. Um, That said, you know, I've been following this company since it started a few years ago, and they've made way more progress than anyone else who's tried to do it so far. And and they have some pretty wealthy backers behind them.
0: Who is this guy, Blake Schulte? I mean, he's a young guy, right?
3: Yeah, he's thirty nine. Uh, I think he turns forty in a few weeks. He's he's like not who you would expect to be a, a plain CEO. He uh, came from yeah, he was essentially like in the online advertising world. He used to work at Amazon, and then he did a startup that he sold to Groupon. And so he's kind of like a software guy um, on the, again on the ad side of things. Who he. Has flown his own plane since he was a, a kid, and just wanted to. <laughs> just decided he was going to yeah. go make a supersonic plane, yeah. um, and so that's kind of where this comes from—is just that love of aviation.
1: And I love that the, the sprinkled throughout this story, and even starting at the top, you know, you talk about like he just sort of kept showing up. He was like taking classes <laughs> on Khan it. Academy. I mean, it's kind of amazing that he just kind of went after it, but in a very deliberate way.
3: Yeah, I was, just, I was just down in Mojave um, for a story, and, you know, there's all these test pilots there and, and all the sort of cutting-edge aerospace companies, and everybody there knew him. He'd been showing up yeah. at the Mojave airport, talking to test pilots and engineers for years and, and, like, just kind of weaseling his way in to figure out who was good in this market. And, and they actually gave him, you know, props for the way he went at it.
0: Is Elon watching him? I mean, you know Elon Musk.
3: <laughs> Elon, you know, for a long time now, he's talked about he wants to make an all-electric um, supersonic plane. It's a thing that he brings up time and time again. As far as I know, there's no actual plans. Um, to do this, some of Elon's friends are investors in Boom, but but right. Elon's not been involved yet. But yeah, I'm sure he's keeping an eye on this, and and yeah. it's, it's one of these things that Elon
1: wants to do, but you know his plate is, is still too full. I think. Yeah.
0: It's like Blake. Hey, come on over. Let's have a little conversation. Just well, and thinking. just
1: to to uh, reiterate what a uh, multimedia threat you are. This is also featured in a new episode of Hello World from Home, right, Ashley?
3: It is. It is. And then the stuff I was talking about with Mojave, that'll be coming out in like a month or so. We've got some good, some good rockets and, and test pilots coming on the show as well.
1: Excellent. All right. Ashley Vance, uh, one of our great talents, features writer for Bloomberg Business Week, host of Hello World, author of Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future. Check out everything he does. Follow him on Twitter at Valley Hack.
0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Messer and Jason Kelly. On Bloomberg Radio. So we talked with our next guest in late August. It was just uh, Jason on the heels of the Democratic and Republican National Conventions. Uh, Safe to say a lot has happened since then politically. uh, We do know, though, the U.S. economy continues to struggle. We see inconsistent data points. Uh, We see inconsistent data points when it comes to the markets. And we did have Fed Chief Jay Powell today warning of a weak U.S. recovery without sufficient government aid said, Uh, and he also said providing too much stimulus wouldn't be problem Uh, a little problematic because we just got a headline that the president uh, says that there will be no stimulus package before the election
1: yeah uh, that's a big headline, and certainly investors paying very close attention to it. Yeah. Also, I would imagine economists paying very close attention to it, so nice to have Rhea Thomas back with us, economists at Wilmington Trust. So Rhea, uh, what do you make of that, and what do you think it means for the underlying U.S. economy if there's no fiscal stimulus coming anytime soon?
4: Um, I do think it's uh, you know an important uh, development in terms of the outlook going forward. Uh, The PPP program, um, as well as the unemployment insurance benefits, um, as well as the uh, economic impact payments that were part of the CARES Act, um, those have all uh, sort of kind of dried up now, um, and we're moving to this next stage where we really needed that additional stimulus to help propel consumer spending going forward. And consumer spending, of course, accounts for about 70% of GDP, um, and that PPP really helped prop up employment, um, and of course, those uh, unemployment insurance benefits and the the direct payments helped prop up spending, both of which have already been leveling off. So I think this is an important development, and it does cloud the outlook for the near term.
2: Uh,
0: Are- so, Ria, on that headline, do you go to your team? All right, folks, uh, let's all meet in the conference room virtually, of course. And, you know, we got to rework our models. I mean, we all know that stimulus has been important in preserving what we what, what's left of the U.S. economy. So I do wonder how much do you – I know it's problematic, but how much do you start to rework kind of what the rest of the year looks like?
4: Sure. Um, we've actually had a slightly uh – more cautious view, I think, than the uh, overall market. And I do think that the market uh, will need to kind of account for this new development. I do think that the market had kind of started to price out a little bit of the stimulus when um, Justice Ginsburg passed away because there was some thought that um, uh, you know, Congress might not be able to actually uh, focus on it. Um, but then the hopes had kind of resparked again. And I think. There's going to be some adjustments. I do think it's also important to note that the Fed, uh, that Chair Powell did note at the last FOMC uh, press conference that uh, many of the members of the uh, FOMC did have some uh, fiscal stimulus kind of baked into their projections. So they Mm -hmm. will likely need to adjust that as well. So that's something to consider.
1: So Rhea, as you and your team look across the employment landscape specifically, what do you see? What are the persistent trends? And what are you most worried about in the, in the balance of 2020 here?
4: Sure. Um, you know, to put things in perspective, really, we really did have employment plunge at the start of the pandemic. It was sort of like an elevator in free fall. We lost about 22 million jobs in March and April. And we wiped out in just two months nearly all of the jobs that were created in the prior 10 years. Um, and the labor market's trying to recover now, but it's sort of like we're running upstairs. Um, rather than riding the elevator back up. And we are running into this problem where we're running out of steam a little bit here. Um, You know, the pace of job gains has slowed um, since June. Um, We did have gains in September, and it looked like a positive development that the unemployment rate had dipped, but that was really due to uh, some people in the labor force actually dropping out. And that's concerning because the longer that, that's a sign that people may be discouraged, not looking for jobs, it may also have to do with some of the virtual schooling and parents having trouble uh, finding child care to go back to work. Um, but that's, that's a concern so, as well.
0: So is it just a case it's going to be lousy until we ultimately have a vaccine or we have rapid testing where we all can test, you know, every day, Put something into a computer and say okay we're safe today and then we can go to work i mean is it kind of lousy until we get either rapid testing for everyone or we get a vaccine for everyone and then once we get that does everything start to resume you know kind of go back to where it was
4: uh that's a that's a good question i mean i think a solution to the virus will really be a silver bullet to a large extent but the longer this drags out, the more there is this chance of sort of this permanent scarring, um, particularly in the labor market. And that's something we're really focused on, because you are starting to see these permanent layoffs rising. You're seeing companies like Disney, companies like American Airlines, where the, the recovery in demand isn't coming fast enough, and so they're having to lay off their employees. And the longer that drags on, those employees may not be able to find jobs in other industries. Um, and if they're on the sidelines for longer, that, of course, Um, creates a longer recovery process going down the line. Um, So that will kind of bring back demand quickly, but there may be some um, people along the way who kind of lose their jobs and it will be difficult to get back. And that's that's kind of one of the main concerns in terms of scarring.
1: All right. Well, a timely conversation. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and reacting immediately to those headlines that uh, clearly investors are taking to heart and not in a positive way, Uh, Carol. uh, Great to have with us Rhea Thomas economist, excuse me, for Wilmington Trust joining us on the phone from Philadelphia.
0: Like, like don't you wonder, Jason, like if a year from now we've got the vaccine, we've all been vaccinated, right? There's not, we're not every day, oh my God, the cases are going up again. Like, does, do we all kind of rush back to work? Do we all start getting on planes again? Like, I, I... I know it's no. never that simple.
2: No. <laughs> I,
1: I think the short answer is no. I, I, think there, I, I think there are some real fundamental changes going on here. I think there are fundamental changes so in behavior. Um, I think people will be hesitant. I do think there'll be a rush maybe if people feel safe to go to a local restaurant or things like that. But I think the... I think the further afield travel is going to be very slow to come back. You certainly will have people, I mean, and I probably count myself among them who, like, definitely, like, let's hop on a plane and go to California. You know, it's like that yeah. sort of thing, I, I think. Right. Um, but but I do think but on then the they margin, have to ramp
0: up too that they've got to rehire people that they've let right. go and I know that that can be done fairly quickly but there will be that process. But I right? think
1: I'm an outlier in in that regard. I think that I think other people will be a little bit more hesitant to to do that.
0: Well, and we've so also talked right. about you know um, work that. People are realizing, companies are realizing that you know what—you don't have to jump on a plane for every meeting, yeah right? And and I don't know—I don't. We're social beings; we like that. That's part of the process. And I don't know—you know—if you go to you, do conferences, come back, and then you have to get out on a plane to go yeah. to the conferences. So, I, I don't know. I guess some of it TBD, but I do think it's going to be protracted and take a little bit more. I think
1: it's a hybrid time. world. I think we're gonna it's be living in a world.
0: hybrid world. I'm
1: This is The Drive
3: to the Close. That punky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
0: All right, just about 11 minutes until the closing bell on Wall Street on this Tuesday. And we've been bouncing around, of course, Charlie mentioning... Uh, how we've seen stocks head lower as a result of President Trump tweeting that there will be no stimulus before the election. So we're kind of bouncing around our lows right now. Hey, let's get into it. Time for the drive to the close. Leo Kelly is back with us. He's founder, CEO, and co-CIO at Verdon's Capital Advisors. They've got roughly $2.6 billion in assets, client assets, based in Baltimore on our phone uh, from Hunt Valley, Maryland. Uh, hey, Leo, good to have you back with us. How are you?
5: I am well. It's good to be back. Good to uh, talk to both of you.
0: So what's going on in your world? Tell me, investors, are they, you know, calling you constantly and saying what the heck is going on with this world?
5: I I would say we're getting, the the quote I keep using is it's the same music um, and every election, just the volume's turned way up. Um, I don't think there's any question investors have a lot of COVID fatigue. They have a lot of election news fatigue um and this is as bifurcated as I've seen opinions on uh, on the economy and the markets based on, on on politics so the answer is yes we we have a lot of concern mm. and we're spending time keeping everybody calm and distilling information that they're getting maybe from one particular side or the other so it's yeah it's an interesting moment in in time
1: and so what do you advise people to do right now if they're looking at this market, they're looking at a market that, you know, clearly is reacting to things like fiscal stimulus or or lack thereof, not reacting maybe so much to the health and well-being of the president and sort of staring down the barrel of, you know, four weeks from now, millions of people at the polls. What do you do in the meantime?
5: Well, I think the first thing we tell people is to keep your head about you, right, and remember. That this is a cycle, and the economy, the markets, and politics cycle. And while we're in an extraordinary moment with COVID, and that that presents unique challenges, the reality is, is as you come close to uh, the election, especially a presidential election, what you get is you get big ideas from different candidates, and then the other side is telling you all the damage that will do. And depending on what side you're listening from, which now we're listening more with social media and being home with COVID. Um, that, That builds anxiety. But what we're trying to do is bring people back and say, okay, what is reality? Reality is a new president or existing president goes in. They don't get to do 10 big things. They usually get to do maybe one big thing. So don't get too caught up in the rhetoric. Stay close to what matters. What matters is what is the rate of change in the economy, in the science around COVID, and in valuations of securities, that's where you have to stay focused. The rate of change in the economy has been amazing. It's been a V shape, which has been our base case, and that V now is getting harder to climb because we're, you know, the economy is maturing. This this rally is maturing. In terms of the science, it's growing exponentially. That's a plus. You got to check a plus column there. We've never seen anything like this. Um, this will change how these types of things are done in the future. Um, and so you have to be wary of that. And, and I do think the markets, as I mentioned before, the markets are very bifurcated. We have to be concerned with certain areas of the market and some of the valuations. Um, you know, we're starting here, some of the things we heard in 2000. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's a moment to take a little bit of pause and a little bit of caution and to be very deliberate in your process.
0: Are you getting ready for a Biden presidency or a second-term with President Trump
5: um, yes um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I
0: didn't I, ask I, you I, who yeah. you were voting for I'm just curious as someone who has to make investment decisions you've got to be checking out each of these scenarios and I think for a long time we were concerned by how close you know we thought that the outcome might be come November it still could be and then what kind of uncertainty that will create kind of overall and then, of course, for investors. And I think as we are getting closer, there's a feeling that there, it isn't going to be so close a race and that we're not going to have to have this decided in court. So I'm just curious what you're getting ready for, Leo.
5: Yes. So what we're trying to do is we, we put everything on a probability tree. Mm-hmm. And so a few weeks ago, and, and again, it, it was probably 50-50, maybe it was 55-45, obviously different people argue that different ways. It has expanded in favor of Biden, so the percentage chance that Biden is going to win has gone up here in the last week or so. That could change in two weeks. The last 30 days are very volatile. So um, I I do think that just making one decision and, and going in one hard direction isn't necessarily beneficial. You have to do this in the form of probability. What is the probability that Biden is going to get in? Pick a number, 60% okay well what's the probability that biden gets in and the senate turns over Mm -hmm. that's a lower number what's the probability that biden gets in the senate turns over and they kill the filibuster and then and they change the estate tax or and they um, raise capital gains back up to full income so as you go through this process that's how you make decisions there's risk and return to every decision Um, it's not a zero probability trump gets in it's not a zero probability that biden controls the senate and so that's how we're making decisions. But I also think it's important to remember we're investors, not traders. Mm. And so our allocations are built around long-term models and expectations. And this is, this is still the strongest economy in the world. The COVID Although coronavirus is going to last forever.
0: Although Jay Powell, of course, arguing again today that we need more stimulus and, and arguing that if we overdo it, that's okay. So he's worried. He, he
5: should be. Um, and again, I do think we have immediate challenges. Yeah. Um, and so calling for a stimulus, Jay Powell's looking at the moment. He doesn't want a market problem. He doesn't want, um, he, he doesn't want the, uh, credit markets to come apart. And so he wants the government to do their part. I would, I would remind everyone who's listening though, this is not like asking Microsoft for more taxes, right? The United States government makes nothing. They don't sell a service the revenue that's generated comes from us so when we go to the united states government and say we need your money we're saying we need our own money we just want you to go borrow from other people and advance the money you're going to get in the future and that has long-term implications um so you know this is again this is a long-term game and and you have to be mindful of your allocations
1: yeah. The the long term element of this sometimes is easy to lose sight of. Leo Kelly, thank you so much. No relation, but you know, representing the name well. Are you well. sure? Have founder, you founder, CEO? Gone Go to Ancestry.com Jason com lately, Jason yeah, Kelly. I, I have not I have not done a twenty-three and me with Leo <laughs> Kelly, but yeah, who's to say? Verdicts Capital Advisors. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And of course you can always listen to our radio show. Show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.